My name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hey you, welcome to episode 188 of Legally Clueless. Thank you so much for rocking with this podcast. And if this is your first time ever listening, welcome to the family. You're never too late. Audio episodes like this go out every single Monday. And we have a really awesome video series. Three seasons are already out of different Africans sharing quite inspiring stories. And we also have our tour series where we went around Kenya. We've been to Paris. Dubai, Zimbabwe, all of those episodes are out right now on LegallyCluelessAfrica.com. And once you head over to that website, you can sign up and join our family officially. Now back to this episode, this is the story that's coming up. When your mom died, one of the things she told me is make sure Kevin finds the dad. So when I'm in class six, my auntie comes is like, uh, so hi, would you like to meet your father? The only thing I knew was my dad's last name that's all i knew because my mom when she was still alive she would she would toy around that you know your dad is this i'm like okay so i have a dad so i meet my dad in uh, class six five around there i remember being so amazed by how much he looked like me. That is a story by Minor Mind. It's coming up a little later in this episode. It's a very powerful story. I do not have many favorites when it comes to all the stories I've recorded, but this one, this one sticks out. This one sticks out. I'll tell you why a little later. But first, I hope you're doing super well. I hope you are surrounded by grace and that you're putting one foot in front of the other and just like trusting yourself. The song of the week this week is by Manny Wells. I actually just stumbled on this artist on TikTok. He did a TikTok about a particular African drum and how it's closely mimics the sound of a human voice which is so interesting to me and then I ended up checking out his music and finding this particular song that I absolutely instantly loved and his name is Manny Wells the name of the song is Peace and it features Thames it's really awesome I've put a link to it in the show notes okay let me give you a bit of a catch-up thank you so much for giving me the space to just like vent in the last episode And just speak about my my uncle. No, seriously, I was thinking about it during the week and being able to honor him on a platform that's comfortable for me is super awesome. So thanks for, you know, rocking with this podcast and contributing to this space. The burial went, I don't know if I should say well, because what's a good or well going burial? I don't know. I don't know. It was just the last time I was at a burial for someone close was 10 years ago and I feel like I don't even remember very many moments from my mom's funeral. I just have like random flashes. I can see particular people who were there, specific moments, but I can't Even the lowering of the coffin, I actually cannot remember that. So being at this burial for someone pretty close, and it was almost like I was attending my first funeral. I don't know if that makes sense. But I think the things that struck me is just the finality. I'll never get over the finality of death. Like it's just so permanent. So, so permanent, unlike anything else. And then I realized that I'm really an empath. (laughs) Oh my goodness. As in, I knew this before, but literally seeing 
particular individuals crying would evoke an emotion in me that was just like intense. And then I saw a family member who I hadn't seen in such a long time who just reminds me of my dad. And literally, I just like felt all of this emotion even just coming from it. It was, I was just like, okay. I guess I am an empath. I think also the entire experience just got me reflecting on family. I am definitely at that age where you get to see your family as humans. You see their strengths, you see their flaws, and it's okay because you're now seeing them as humans. I think what happens when we're kids and if adults are not careful, they reinforce this is we put our family members on pedestals and attach such unattainable expectations on them. And we do this without even intentionally trying to get to know them, to know if those expectations we've put are even just remotely (laughs) close to what they would do. And I think as kids, we just use... The little information the adults share with us, what we learn about family, and we keep building on this, building on this as we grow up until family members are all about specific roles and not about who they are as individuals, as humans, as their own beings. I don't know. I had Loki thought about that earlier this year. And then, you know, obviously being around family, you start reflecting about family, those who are here, those who are gone. And I remember just thinking about that and trying to figure out how can I do things differently for my family if the universe (laughs) expands many things for me. (laughs) Oh my goodness. That is a story for another day. I think we... (laughs) We need to get into we need to get into the story that's by Mina. I really love this story. This is actually also on season three of our video series. This is how much I like it. This is how important I think his story is, because it's something that we don't talk about a lot, which is the quest for a father's love. A hundred African stories on legally clueless stories from Africa. My name is Kevin Miner. I am from Moranga, Nakuru, and Nairobi. So my childhood, I was born in Nakuru, and then we moved to Eldoret. What I do remember fondly was uh, my mother. So she was a big, she was big on uh, love, her love language was touch. So she was big on that. I remember that so fondly uh, because part of my experience expressive way is through that and just the vulnerability and I think that led on to who I am today so my mom first of all my mom was a single parent and uh, when we were in Eldoret I was under this housekeeper who was not really taking care of me well so there was a point I was so skinny this was before even I started school so skinny my legs were literally like this so my shushu hears of this and she drives from Nakuru she had a pickup she drives all the way my gukaize <laughs> carried on the, the back side of the, of the pickup. So she comes to Eldoret, takes me, takes me to Nakuru, and then I'm given a big bowl of uji. So this is from my relatives telling me, because I was really young, I can't really remember. But I remember the, the uji aspect is true because every morning growing up in her house was uji time. Like I'd start with uji, 
and then go on with everything else. So she gave me a big bowl of Uji, started feeding me, and then I, okay, I gained some weight and I was healthy again. So part of my schooling, my schooling was not in Eldoret, it was in Akuru. So I started off in Akuru, studied up to class three, was being taken care of by my grandmother. And then my mom was working in Nairobi. And then tragedy struck when I was in uh, class three, when I was nine years old, she passed away. So I was brought up by my grandmother. When she passed away, uh, I remember crying and I, I was like, I needed to go to Nairobi because my young me for some reason thought being in the city was the way because I'd see my cousins coming, you know, I, I, I was speaking Kikuyu, you know, that, that was what I knew, but I wanted to watch Spider-Man. So I cried and, uh, you know, I went to, to live with my auntie. That's where my Nairobi journey began. So Eldoret, Nakuru, Nairobi. So processing grief at that age was tricky because first of all, it was so, it was interesting. I had an event on May and I did a poem about this. It was the first time I ever addressed this. And now I can talk about it, so it's, I'm at a good place. But at that point, I think I was more shocked at the fact that death had knocked at our door. Like there's no one I knew close to me that had died. And then this was like my mom, you know, like I'd seen her through the sickness. She became so frail. She got to a point where she used to even walk while, you know, bending, like it was, it was bad. She was uh, diagnosed with meningitis. And she was one of those people, I think I got this from how she wouldn't open up. So by the time people were realizing she was sick, it was too late and uh, she, you know, she passed on. So at that time processing grief was very interesting because I was like, wait, like death, this is how death, is, this is how death is like, you know? You see those long convoys of vehicles, family members you'd never seen before coming to bury your mom and you're asking yourself, well, what are these guys before all this? So it was more about being cognizant of the fact that death was here. And so I didn't, I was more focused on that. I didn't, I didn't um, grieve her. And I realized this as I grew up as a teenager, I, I used to talk to her for some weird reason. I used to talk to her and I used to imagine her response. So I'd not really let her go. And this one time when I decided to actually let her go and decide, you know, she's dead. And uh, I decided to put that away. I remember waking up sometime after I, I, she was in a dream of mine. And in this dream, I remember thinking about her, but I couldn't see her face because I'd grown. I was about 15 years old. I couldn't remember her face because her memory was, the memory of her was so blur. So even this poetry that I did on May 21st was called Fading. It's probably, it's losing someone twice. So the grief process has, has taken up to now. I feel uh, like I'm, I'm still allowing myself to sort of be at peace with it, to accept it, to appreciate her. So my, my, my relatives have been sending me photos because now I'm asking questions like, you know, how was she? Because I just remember one dancing style that she had. You know, that, that's all I remember. And the fact that she used to love hugging me and kissing me and assuring me and uh, reassuring me rather and just talking to me. So... The main reason why I wanted to come to, my, to Nairobi, coming to Nairobi was, uh, uh, to be honest, at that point, the only reason why I came is just to watch Spider-Man because my cousin used to talk about it and I was like, damn, well, the Spider-Man here? Like, you know, we had the CD, so. Uh, that was one of the reasons why I caused a tantrum and then cried and cried, gosh. And then I came to Nairobi. So I, in my family, I've always been the, the soft guy, the guy who's will cry. I'll cry when I'm happy, when, when I'm sad. So. Compared to my cousin, my cousin is a rough guy. So even the cliques that he was hanging out with were, you know, the rough, the rough guys who were bougie as well. So here's a guy who had two front brown teeth coming skinny, you know, trying to fit into the clique. 
it took some time, but eventually I got there. You know, it got to a point where I was part of the family and I was part of the gang. And we were so close with my cousin. I think even I used to refer to his mom as mom. I, I've ne I don't remember. I remember the last time I called her auntie. She's my mom. He's my brother. Went through my elementary, finished. My grandmom decided we need to be thrown to Naivasha Boys boarding. And this is where the next journey begins. So at around class six, I remember, so my mom had two sisters and uh, two brothers. She was the firstborn, so there were five. Yes, so there were five. So I was staying with one of her sisters, who is the secondborn, but the thirdborn, actually the, the, the fourthborn, was uh, working at uh, Barclays. Coincidentally, my dad was a manager at Barclays. So this my auntie told me later on, but she said when your mom died, one of the things she told me is make sure Kevin finds the dad because my mom was single. So when I'm in class six, my auntie comes is like, uh, so hi, would you like to meet your father? The only thing I knew was my dad's last name. That's all I knew because my mom, when she was still alive, she would, she would toy around that, you know, your dad is this. And I'm like, okay, so I have a dad. So I meet my dad in uh, class six, five, around there. And, and the first thing I remember, I was still in Bashabodi. I remember being so amazed by how much he looked like me. Like I was like, oh my, like it was so cool. <laughs> it was so cool just watching him and being like, whoa, he's, you know, he's, He's, he's dope. And then he was driving on Mercedes, so I knew. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, so meet up my dad. Uh, they were, they, it, it was a flip side of the coin because part of me was really angry because I saw my mom going through, she went through a lot, she sold everything. By the time she was passing away, we were living at her cousin's place. So part of me was angry because I was like, where were you? But the other side of me was happy and sort of knew this was the beginning of a new life. So I started my a, a prayer that I used to have. I was like, God, just help one day. I go leave my, my dad. Because there's something about hopping from one home to another. When you close this holiday, you're going to your shusho. The other holiday, you're going to your auntie. You don't really have a place. Everyone tells you, you know, you can call me mom, which is a good thing because you have many moms. But as a child, you start even having compartments in your brain where you know these problems are for this auntie, these problems are for this auntie. So it was always a situation where I was always the kid who, Kevin, what do you want? Oh, whatever, whatever you can, whatever you can. Like it took me a while to start realizing that you can actually ask for help. You can actually say this and, and you know, and what you really want instead of letting th people drive or just treat you as they are willing to simply because you feel like you are like a problem in their life. Like if I wasn't there, they probably didn't have to split the budget. So at this point I'm like, it's my dad. I need to go live with my dad. So that, because that's where I belong. So went through primary school and then in class eight, when I was finishing my KCPE, so everyone is scrambling to find a school, which by the way, I performed very well. I won't tell you what I got, but I really, I really performed very well. So I think my dad saw that as an opportunity and he called my shusho, said, I have a school. It's in Nairobi. So I went to Aga Khan High School, Nairobi. It's about 15 minutes from where we lived. So everyone knew what he was doing, but 
I feel like even when you talked about it as a family, it was a good opportunity for me to finally have the chance to go live my, with my dad. And you can imagine at this point, both family, this friction, both families, you know, there's the idea that, okay, Kevin needs to go stay with his dad, but there's the idea that we, you know, there's history here that we do not like. So my aunt talks to me about it. She vouched, you know, she really talks to my grandmother and tells her, you know, there's a good opportunity for Kevin. And uh, voila, pack my bags, heading again to Nairobi, uh, this time in a bougier place, Westlands, you know. I get there, I mean, my two brothers, I'm like, oh, okay. So I have brothers now, <laughs> you know what I mean? My stepmom, like, whoa, okay. Now that is another story about now trying to fit into that, to that place because I'm from Naivasha Boys Boarding. Now I want to give you the picture from Naivasha Boys Boarding. These are public boys boarding school. The environment there is crazy. You have to be hardcore survivor. Now remember how I was a soft kid? Now coming to Aga Khan High School, now I was, you know, I was the Rui guy, you know, like the bad boy. Akakan High School is a mixed international private day school. So we have two aspects, we have girls here, and the fact that I'm going home every day. So there's the risk of being spoiled, and there's the risk of being distracted, which happened immediately. I get into class, I'm shy, and I remember this one time a girl came and touched my shoulder. She's like, hi, what's your name? I'm like, oh, my name is Kevin. And I don't know what I said, but I made a laugh and that was it. I was like, I can, <laughs> I can make a girl feel this way, done. I used to have a schedule of how many girls I'm gonna make smile the next day, <laughs> the next day, it was crazy. Now my dad is, because this is the next part of the story, my dad is very, you know, the guy, academics, academics, you know, you need to be doing this, you need to be going. So my academics obviously started dipping. So I'm having a hard time settling at home because it's a new environment. I'm trying to really fit in. I'm trying to really act cool, you know, walking the estate, show people that, you know, I've been here because guys were like asking my little brothers, oh, this is your big brother. Kwani, where has he been? And I'm like, ah, yeah, I'm studying in another country. So this decided came back. <laughs> I was really trying. In school, I'm trying to fit in. I don't want anyone to suspect where I'm from, my past, you know, I'm trying to really, when kids are talking about their dads and everything, I'm like, there, yeah, you know, my dad. I was one of those kids that was always excited to see their dad come into school because I, I could, ne I never took that for granted. But now, since my academic were dipping, my relationship with my dad became very, very difficult. And um, I started becoming, you know, I was really focused on getting girls to be my girlfriends. Sigh. And um, school didn't really, the education didn't really matter to me. So we get into this very salty relationship with my dad. I started hiding stuff from him. I was feeling uncomfortable. Part of me was feeling angry still. I was carrying all these things that were never addressed. You know, I'm supposed to fit in as if things were always okay. So we got to a point where I'd hear my dad come to the parking lot and I would leave, you know, and just go into my room, hide myself. Their days would go weeks, days on end without even speaking a word to each other. And part of it was, a, when I think of it in hindsight, being a child and just thinking like, you know everything and this guy doesn't know anything. What, what is he telling me? Where was he all this time? I know what I'm doing. And, and still being, part of me being entitled to the fact that you're my dad, you're supposed to make up for the time that, you know. So it was really tough because, and sometimes I tell this and people may not understand, but for me, the relationship with my dad was very core. In my heart, I want, I craved it. There's a time I sat him down and I was crying and I was like, you don't say hi to me like you do to my brothers. 
like those tiny things like you know coming to my room and saying hi those tiny things were very important to me and i never I, I always felt like they were not given to me as they were supposed to and as I, again in hindsight my dad is human you know he has this new child that he had years back and he's trying to really bring him home and I'm being closed, expecting him to still open up. It was very chaotic in my head. So it got to a point where around my third year, I remember being in my room and crying and asking God, God, please, I don't know what's right, but I do know what's wrong. And I know what I need to focus on. I just need a relationship with my dad. I just need to be his best friend. And that I think for me was a very core is a very core part of my life because I changed everything. I broke up with all my girlfriends, <laughs> needless to say, cut all the people who were not adding value into my life. And I started really focusing on what was important at that time. It was my books. I'd, if, I, if I didn't like it, I'll do that and get done with it. Really rose top of the ranks. I became a class prefect, started topping my school, you know, top five. And as fate would have it, we, my dad and I became close friends. We were you know, he was finally smiling. He was finally nodding and giving me those signs of approval because I was becoming the child that maybe he had envisioned me to become or he wanted me to become. And um, we are best friends again. Now, we're living happily ever after and my form four comes, you know, I'm doing my KCSE, very dedicated. Again, I pass very well. I won't tell you what I got, but I really, University are calling me, guys. And so my dad had other ideas. He, she wanted me to attend Strathmore University. And um, for context, when I started living with my dad, there was the idea that, uh, you know, you live with him, uh, but, uh, you know, after Form 4, you would go back to your primary fam, which was understandable. But at this point, you can imagine I'd build a relationship with my dad. Man, like we were boys, we, we used to, talk, to take now drives, private drives, me and him alone. Like I used to sit at, <laughs> I used to sit at the co-driver's seat. That's a big deal. At that time, that's a big deal. Because previously, I just come to the car, get to the back seat. I'm not even talking. This time, it's like, oh, guy, what's up? You know, it, it was a big deal. So the relationship is tight. I didn't know that that was the agreement when I joined this new family. So I'm just finding out. So my dad throws this idea to... The family, I till this day, I don't know the details, but again, friction was there. And one time, I'm on a phone call with my dad, I'd gone to visit my grandma, and you know, he says, why, why don't you just stick there a little longer? And I knew what that meant. And I remember breaking down, going to my grandma. She's hugging me and she's like, yeah, you know, I'm always here for you, trying to encourage me. And God, I felt like I lost everything because remember my primary goal? just have a relationship with my dad. Everything else, the performing in school was just like an additive to this main goal of having a relationship with my dad. And again, I was being taken back to, to square one. Like, you know, I have to start all over again. So apart from feeling used and betrayed, it was one of those moments that I felt that I just wanted my dad to own me. And uh, I'll later understand the context, which I'm gonna talk about, but again, life started. So I rush, try to apply for public uni, I get uh, admitted to KU to pursue a communication uh, degree in communication, bachelor's in communication and media studies. I'm like, yay. So I joined KU. Uh, but before then, at this period, at this gap time before joining university, another 
core moment of my life happened. So I, I really sank into depression because I was back at my auntie's place, back at feeling like that problem in their life because again, I've just got into their lives. They weren't prepared. They were like, oh, things are going well. Now you're back, you know. Of course, they wouldn't say it that way, but you can have a sense of like, budgets have to be re, re, rearranged, you know. So I used to stay at home and I'm really depressed and I'm really thinking. And that's when I started creating content. So one time in my room, I remember recording a video, I was speaking in a Luya accent and it was so funny. I think if you go to my Instagram, the first post ever is about that guy. And I remember watching it. It was one of those moments where you watch something, you haven't looked at yourself in the mirror in a long time until you start thinking, wow, that, that, <laughs> this is how I look like, you know, and then I posted it, went to sleep. Next day I have like 10 views and two comments, bro, you're funny. And I was like, yes, I'm a star. <laughs> so I started creating, I, I got so obsessed with creating because it was a channel to escape, make myself happy, but also make other people happy. So it was sort of like, um, like an autocatalytic process where I create, I feed you, you feed me back with the dopamine and everything. So I started creating, I started even now going into characters, you know, I do different characters, a mother and a son and a dad, you know, like the same guy and, and started getting into editing and scripting. And I decided, you know, I'm gonna do everything that I feel I can do just to make myself happy. I got myself a guitar. I started writing poetry. I, I, I started a blog. I started all these things and that's when I opened up. In fact, around this time is the first time we met with Adele because my school invited me to do like a, like a, a, a luminous speech. And uh, that's when Adele and I met and I told her my interest in getting into media. She didn't know this then, but the boy was going through a lot. At that time, I'd, I, I was really intentional on opening up my life and just going hard on what I felt was right for me and not let other people's sort of disagreements affect me because all this time that, that that's what was happening because my dad could not agree with this other party i was in between and no one was asking me bro how are you feeling i wanted to really say you guys don't understand i had a relationship with this man that's all i want i i don't care whether he's the one paying the fee or he's the one buying me the clothes i just want that relationship with him no one addressed that and that hurt me but anyway I had some money saved, I enrolled, I enrolled myself into an acting program, an acting class. I met amazing people there. My whole world opened up into a new world of creativity and I sunk into it deeply. So get into KU, I know my basics, uh, I know the hard work. I've been with girls before in high school, you know, I'm seeing guys acting, as, acting like myself in high school. <laughs> Hi, you know, me, me, I'm way ahead, I'm just like, guys. Ah, uh, uh, Z, man, you know? So, um, so pe people immediately, even among, uh, among my peers, and this is something that I noticed, there was always a form of like, man, Kevin, uh, you know, how, how, are you, how are you so focused, how are you? But for me, you remember that Kafum 3 change that happened? I just extrapolated that into university. And so my first year, my GPA, I just had to make sure it was up on top. So moving to my auntie, life moves on, my, you know, my auntie, gets engaged, you know, things are moving on. And so in my second year, another turbulence happens. And um, I remember I was very obsessed with working hard to get some money to move out and be independent because I felt if I can be independent where I'm not depending on anyone to give me anything, then I can easily create a relationship without expectations. Because I've always felt the fact that 
we have an ideal of what your dad should do, your mom should do. It doesn't mean to say that you you don't do what you're supposed to do as a dad or a mom, but I feel like the fact that we already have an ideal as kids, we then come from a point of entitlement. And you know, you're looking at your dad, you know, you should be doing this, and then you end up hating them or something. So I didn't want that to be in my head. I just wanted to create a relationship because I loved this person. So I was really obsessed with that. And I remember I used to do activations. I used to even sell beer in clubs just to get that little extra coin to get myself a guitar, to keep paying for my acting classes. And I did all sorts of things. I, I did all sorts of tiny jobs that didn't need a degree or any paper that you could really do. Supermarkets, you know, just selling tissue there. Hi, you want to take a tissue? You don't know anything. But, you know, you're just trying to make that extra cash. So one time, because uh, things are happening for my auntie and you know, things are moving on, she says, you know, you should think about moving out. And I'm in second year. I'm in my long holiday. I knew I could take care of myself if I was on holiday forever because I can get jobs here and there. But I'm thinking if I'm going to school, how am I going to, you know, take care of myself henceforth. The argument was you go to school, you're gonna take care of your of your rent for the first one month and then you can, since you're doing jobs anyway. So that was the other point where I decided, let me call my dad because I kept on thinking about it and I was like, this guy's alive. Um, I don't know, I don't know how he is mentally. He's a Gemini, maybe that has, <laughs> that has something to do with anything, with everything. I decided, let me be the bigger person. So this time I was looking for a job at Kawa and Dani. I mean, I was looking for a house at Kawa and Dani. It was a tiny, it was a tiny house. It was like three tiles, the weed's wife. And then to, it was basically a corridor that they, they, they just decided to put a roof because it was extra space and could accommodate uh, someone else. And I called him and all I needed from him was allowance. To just know that I have something coming in every month that can help me take care of my immediate bills as I work on taking care of my school and um, everything else that I could take care But just to know that I have something standard that I can depend on. So I call him and I'm shaking because uh, we haven't talked since I left. We haven't talked. This is like uh, left around 2017. This is like 2019 towards the end of it. And I'm shaking. I'm like, ah, yeah, I just turned 20, how are you? He's like, good, good. I'm like, um, can, I, can, can we have a chat? He's like, yeah, sure. Yeah, why don't you come, we have lunch. So I go. So the day that I'm going to meet him, the next day I'm supposed to move out. So I'm meeting him the day before I move out. So we go, we have a chat and I'm like, telling him the situation. I'm telling him all my jobs about my errands in the clubs and how mamas have been hitting on me. I'm like, yeah, it's been cool, man. it's been real, man. I'm learning a lot. <laughs> I was really trying to show him that I'm not struggling. Like, bro, I got me. All I need though, is this tiny money that I've been looking at. I even had a budget and everything. I'm like, so if, if my meals are like this, and he listens very, very attentively. And when I finish talking, he looks at me and he says, so you're moving out, right? I'm like, yeah, okay. So how come, how, how about instead of going, you just come? Right? Instead of going where you're going, just make a detour and come because you're moving out anyway. I was like, yeah, is that an option? I was like, that has always been an option, Kevin. I was like, okay. So I go pack my things. And I remember as I'm leaving that next day at the door, I look at my auntie and I'm like, oh, by the way, I'm not going to the house, I'm going to my dad's. And I see the horror in her face and it's chaos. I would later understand when years later we talk about this 
end. Just because of that idea that this one party was winning, that was the whole chaos around her feelings and everything and the pressure that she had in her life. And so I'm moving back into the house and we had a conversation with my dad and he talked to me about the dynamics of the family and um, how he was, he was my dad, but even he could only do too much to sort of make, to sort of say, I want this for Kevin, but if you guys are not willing to sort of have that for him, that is okay. So moved back into the house. And when I moved, I had some conditions for myself. I was like, okay, now I'm an artist now. So you see me with rocket jeans. Uh, I knew you wanted me to do business, but I'm not into that shit no more. <laughs> so if you want me to get, if you see me with rugged jeans, please don't judge. I have an acting gig. So sometimes I might come here at 12 a.m. So can I get a gate key, please? And all those conditions were, you know, okay, cool. So I move in, like nothing happened. And that's when I started really just unraveling things and realizing sometimes when things are, when you're a child, decisions are made for you. But it gets to a point where you have to make decisions for yourself. Because if I never imagine if I never made this phone call. And that's why I started realizing that this ideal that we have, I, I was waiting for my dad to call me. But I give the benefit of the doubt he's human. You know, he is a lot like me. He has his own egos. He has, you know, his own sort of um, upbringing. He, he's what? He's to his 50s. So he has already how he's brought up and how he thinks. So he may not be able to compromise things, but if I am able to just compromise my egos and what I think an ideal relationship, even girlfriend, boyfriend, even wife, husband, like I started thinking about those things very differently and breaking all these ideals that you're told, you know, when you're, when you're son to your dad, he should be taking care of all of this. When you're a husband, you should be paying all the bills. There's no compromise on that. I will listen to your advice, but I will really take a deep think about it and decide what is, what is it that matters to me deeply. So I'm back at home, bills are taken care of. I just have to focus on school, can you imagine? And then I have so much free time. But in my mind, I knew I cannot be comfortable because I have history with these people. <laughs> so I know I cannot be comfortable. So immediately I throw myself into trying to make something of myself. I go hard on content creation. And around this time, I, I'm journaling a lot. I have like two journals. I start going through them. And this is where Minor Mind is born. So I came across a piece of content online by a guy called Matthias J. Baker. He's a psychologist. And he does the same type of content that I do, only that he's a psychologist, so he gives advice. But it's just watching the cinematic bit of it such that even though I have nothing important to say, people will watch me because the quality is good. The lighting is hitting me nicely. You know, my eyes are shining and whatnot. And I made a commitment I have to say for a camera to just, to just create whatever I'm seeing here because it looks so easy to do and I already have it in my mind. And so that's what I did, saved up for, for a camera. Uh, before I did, I went to pitch to my dad. I had this long pitch again, once again, because this guy is tough. And I pitched to him and you know, I'm, I'm there, I'm giving my points. And, and he asked me, you know, what's the business return of this? And I'm looking at him, I'm like, but you're my dad. Remember that ideal again, you're my dad, you should support me. I was like, no, but what's the business return on this? And he tells me, if when you have that cleared, like the business return, come, we talk about it again. So I'm like, okay, adios, my guy. I, mean, I just want to create content and have fun. So I decided to save, I saved for two years. And last year, 
June. That was my 22nd birthday. I had enough money to buy a camera, to buy lighting, to buy sound, to just set up some, something in my room. And I remember telling my dad, and he was like, who are you? <laughs> you know, who are you? So did that, got my first camera. I started recording the first videos, but they were so vulnerable that I used to keep them for myself. So around this time, I'd been trying to get a job at, to get a position at Nation Media Group because I was really passionate about just, I started writing for the paper, the opinion section, because it's always open. I just started writing on that just to be on their portfolio and not really to write and, you know, just to, to show them, guys, I'm writing. So just call me one of these days. <laughs> but I used to take my CV and pitch ideas to them because I really wanted to, as soon as I can, just be able to fend for myself. So even that, even though I'm staying in this roof, if I'm told to move out, I have enough money to take on myself for six months without doing anything. So that was always at the back of my head. So I get this camera. The first video I did was about rejection because I'd just from, been from an interview at Nation and I'd been rejected badly. So I did that video and then I put it for myself in my drive uh, because I couldn't post it. It was too vulnerable. And I started doing videos, but I used to put them for myself as video journals. So I would rewatch them. And then this one day I decided, let me post this. Took it out, put some music underneath, edited it nicely posted it, went to sleep. I kid you not that the next day, I had about 50 new comments on that post alone and like 100 new followers. And that's when I knew this, this, this was it. So every day I started posting content, every day I started posting content. And I started becoming very intentional about reading books because this content has to come from somewhere. You know, you talk about love so much, you have nothing else to talk about because your experience is so tiny. You now started looking for it books that can feel into your to your perspective and i started being very intentional about reading i read this one book that changed my life it was uh, something about selling his ferrari the monk who sold his ferrari that changed everything and went on by the same other reading the 5am club so i was very intentional for the first time i felt like i was owning my life i was waking up early i was writing uh, i remember one time when dad finding found me at 4 a.m. journaling. And it's like, is that schoolwork? I'm like, no. So you woke up at 4 a.m. to just journal. Like it was so, it was such a, it was such a new idea to him. I think he was like, whoa, there's something here. And that's what I focused on, just building myself and expanding my perspective. Started going to schools to give speeches. Went to Nation every single day, even though they were telling me no and telling me to leave my CV there. Eventually they called me and, um, the rest in that area is history. But I was very consistent with Minor Mind and it grew to what we are today. Uh, my dad and I are best friends. Uh, I'm creating from a point of happiness now than previously it was always about, like I, used, I could only write when I was heartbroken. Like I was like, okay, I need to be creative. Then I put some depressing music and I go low and, and deep and sad, but as, as I took control of my life, I reckon, I started opening up to the idea that even the content that I'm creating is beyond me. Because sometimes when you see DMs of people telling you that there's one I got when I was at 5K followers and it was a lady, she said, you know, I was just contemplating suicide until I came through this piece of yours. And that changed the trajectory of everything. Every piece that I've created, I send to her and then I go sleep. I don't even care who else sees it. As long as I create it and send to her, I know she probably needs it as much as I do. And for me, it was learning that the most, the easiest content to create, the most sustainable was 
the best content I created and it has been the biggest, the most impactful content that I've created. And that's what I do every day. So creating a safe space through words is my core belief. And uh, growing into other areas like my studies and my journalism, because they all merge together. And I think that is a journey that without all these components and letdowns and, and, and things that force me to go to a certain corner and then break out, without all those, I don't think I would be the person I am today. Catch more African stories in the next episode of Legally Clueless. I hope you enjoyed that story. I find Mina to be super inspiring and I'm very excited to kind of like watch him unlock a pretty powerful part of his his life. I just feel that for him. I feel he's so awakened at such an early age, man. Only power and powerful things can come from that. I found his story to be so necessary because we never really talk about fathers especially African fathers. And actually, we do talk about it, but we mask our feelings in humor. So we'll joke about how African fathers do not show emotion and we'll laugh about it online. But I think it's so important in whatever relationship for you to figure out how you communicate love or caring for someone and making it very clear that that's how you communicate it. I think sometimes we think love from specific people or roles we have in our lives. We we think that those roles communicate love in a specific way but those rules are taken up by very different people mothers are different spouses are different fathers are different and speaking from an african context i think if more families sat down and were frank about how they communicate love and care it would save us all a lot of childhood trauma so i thought this was so important because again if if you hope to be a father i just hope as well that you are able to ensure your children know that you love them i also oh my goodness i also was so amazed at how minor could just see the humanity behind the role of father i think sometimes it's hard to do that with family it's it's hard to do it with family who are like mother or father because you know and rightly so you're like hey you're meant to <laughs> look out for me you brought you brought me here why do i have to tell you Kony, what did you expect you know what i mean and so for him to like be calm enough and mature enough and humble enough to see the humanity behind the role of father i was like wow that's taught me something you know it's really just ties back to what i said earlier in the episode i think i'm really starting to see family as humans and just like extending grace just like one of my recent funeral take homes yeah so i i, I think you should go to youtube and watch mina sharing the story it adds a different flavor to it our youtube channel is legally clueless but you can check out the show notes there's a link to it there also in the show notes if you want to share your story on this podcast all you have to do is fill out the google form make sure you put a contact that you check often and then await my email <laughs> I actually did record a story by somebody who listens to the podcast and that story should be going out in episode 189. It has everything to do with alcoholism. It's it's quite a powerful story. I, I really can't wait for you to hear it, but it's coming out 
next week. Remember to sign up to join the Legally Clueless community. Head over to LegallyCluelessAfrica.com. You can also catch this podcast on Trace FM in Kenya. If you go to traceradio.co.ke, first and foremost, we have a brand new app that makes it super easy for you to listen to. But you can catch us there on Monday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. and 11 p.m. and on Friday at 1 p.m. I'm going to end this episode here, but as usual, always know that I'm wishing you nothing but grace and peace. That's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode.